are now listening to PursuitCast, the official podcast of Pursuit NYC. May it be an encouragement to you today and stir your soul for revival. Guys, um, I'm excited to be like here with Pursuit. Like it's been, it's been a long time coming. It's been, we've been trying to get together for a little while to make it happen, but schedules have been kind of wonky and everything like that. I can't believe I just said the word wonky. That's, <laughs> that was weird. So schedules have been kind of messed up, so we haven't been able to kind of um, get together. But I'm happy that we are here tonight. Um, I have some people from Brooklyn that are still on their way, so pray for their safe travels. There was a lot of traffic on the road, so we want to make sure that they also get here safely. But um, let's get into the word. Um, I don't see my professor here, so I'm definitely going to be taking more than 15 minutes. <laughs> All right, so if you have your Bibles with me, turn to Genesis 25. Genesis 25. And we're going to read starting from verse 27 to verse 34. <clears throat> and I'm going to read really quickly for you guys. The boys grew up, and Esau became a skillful hunter, a man of the open country, while Jacob was content to stay at home among the tents. Isaac, who had a taste for wild game, loved Esau, but Rebekah loved Jacob. Once when Jacob was cooking some stew, Esau came in from the open country famished. He said to Jacob, quick, let me have some of that red stew. I'm famished. That is why he is also called Edom. Jacob replied, first sell me your birthright. Look, I am about to die, Esau said. What good is a birthright to me? But Jacob said, swear to me first. So he swore an oath to him, selling his birthright to Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau some bread and some lentil stew. He ate, drank, and then got up and left. So Esau despised his birthright. Esau despised his birthright. Let us pray. God, we thank you tonight. We thank you for the spirit of expectancy, O Lord, Father God. Even as walking, as I was walking into the room this, tonight, O Lord, Father God, I already felt your spirit in this place, O God. And I thank you, O Lord, Father God, because you have a group of people, O Lord God, that are expecting a move of God. Hallelujah. And when you come in with expectancy, O God, you, O Lord, Father God, show up in a mighty way, O God. We thank you, O Lord, Father God, for every person here. O Lord, Father God, open up their ears, open up their hearts, O Lord, Father God, to receive what God has to say. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Um, if I was going to title the sermon, the sermon would be called Starving Sons. Starving Sons. So I'm going to take myself a little bit. So when I was in elementary school, I don't think they had a thing such as school lunch yet. When I was in elementary school, everybody was still bringing their bag lunches to school and everything like that. So that was a little while ago. So whenever I used to have lunch, my mother used to get me the regular peanut butter and jelly, ham sandwich, whatever it is that she used to make at home with a little apple and some juice or milk on the side. That was my regular everyday lunch. On some special days, my mom would pack me some Lunchables. Anybody, anybody remember Lunchables? Yeah. Do, they, do they still make Lunchables? Yes. They do, right? Okay. <laughs> oh, I haven't had them in a really long time. But whenever, whenever I used to like, have a, a sort of good day, my mother used to pack some Lunchables in there, and it was pretty cool. You had your, your cracker sacks and all those different things, and they started coming out with the pizza Lunchables, and 
I think they had like lunchable tacos. I don't think I was too, um, that hung up on for too long. But the, the, like my mother used to pack me lunchables when everything was going good. When I had like a really, 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 really good day, like I found out I was on the honor roll or I passed a test that I was supposed to pass or whatever it is and I got a high score on it, my mother used to bring me McDonald's. So now, when you, when somebody brings McDonald's to school, when the parent brings McDonald's to school, everybody's your friend. Everybody's looking, they're like, oh shoot, you got McDonald's. People that never spoke to you before are now speaking to you. All the girls think that you're the man. All the boys want to be your friend now. So now, my mother, on one of these occasions, my mother bought me McDonald's, and I was in elementary school. Let's remember that, so I had a happy meal. My chicken nuggets happy meal, which was my go-to every single time I had McDonald's. So my mother bought my chicken nuggets for um, um, lunch, my happy meal. Sweet and sour and barbecue sauce, always had to have both. Can't have one or the other, had to have both. Sweet and sour and barbecue. So she bought my Lunchables, I mean she bought my McDonald's and I'm sitting there at the table, opening it up, getting ready to eat. And this kid named Jason Luke, I'm never gonna forget his name. <laughs> his name is seared into my head. Jason Luke comes up to me and he says, oh man, you got McDonald's, and you gotta understand, Jason Luke was like one of the coolest kids in school. So Jason Luke was talking to you, it's like, okay, like, I'm, I'm in now. Like, I might, be, I might be the man. So now Jason Luke comes up to me and he says, I'll trade you your McDonald's for my lunch. I'm like, but all you have is a bologna sandwich, it doesn't even have cheese on it. It's like, not even toasted bread, nothing. And he said, yeah, 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 but if you take my, if you take my ham sandwich and I take your McDonald's, I promise I'll be your friend for the rest of the year. I'm like, oh, that sounds kind of good. So, you know what I did? I gave him my McDonald's. So now I'm sitting at the table, and he doesn't even wait for me to open up the ham sandwich. He's gone. He leaves the table with my McDonald's and goes to sit with his friends. And now I'm over at the table by myself eating a dry ham sandwich. He's like dipping my chicken nuggets in my sweet and sour sauce. I'm looking at him, I'm like, wow. He's eating, like, drinking my soda. They didn't have like a healthy McDonald's, um, what they have, like milk jugs now? They didn't have any of that, it was all soda. So now he's drinking my soda, he's doing all of that, and I'm just watching him, and I'm like, yeah, that was kind of a bad trade. That wasn't really smart. Like, I shouldn't have traded my McDonald's for a dry bologna sandwich, right? And as I was thinking about that, I also started thinking about like other bad trades. So like, I'm a huge basketball fan. Do we have any basketball fans here, right? So I'm a Lakers fan, 100%. Love the Lakers. So if you guys follow the Lakers by any chance, you know that once upon a time, they were in the contention for Kobe Bryant. But Kobe Bryant was originally drafted by the Charlotte Hornets. So on draft night, I think he was the 13th pick, if I'm not mistaken. Pick number 13, and he was drafted by the Charlotte Hornets. The Charlotte Hornets were like, eh, Kobe looks like he was kind of good in high school, but we don't really want to bet everything on Kobe Bryant. We want to get fly to Deepak. So they traded Kobe Bryant from the Hornets to the Lakers. So, no, sorry, the other way around. So they traded fly to Deepak to the um, Hornets, and the Lakers got Kobe Bryant. So ever since that trade happened, the Lakers and Kobe Bryant have five championships, and the Hornets or the the, Bob, the Bobcats now, right? Back to the Hornets. Are they back to the Hornets? 
Oh yeah, they might be. <laughs> they are back to the Hornets. Yeah, so the Hornets, the Bobcats slash the Hornets again, never won a championship since then. So Kobe Bryant went on to have an illustrious career, and we have Vladi Divac, who's been since retired, and the Charlotte Hornets still picking up the pieces after trading away Kobe Bryant. So that was a bad, bad trade. Turn to your neighbor and say bad trade. Bad, bad trade. So that reminds me of another trade that we see in this story. We see that Esau and Jacob were both grown up in the same house. They had the same parents, they had almost the same upbringing, but they were two different people. Esau and Jacob were two different people. And in the Bible, what you see is in verse 27, it says that the boys grew up. The boys grew up. And what we have to understand is that there's sometimes a difference between growing up and maturing. Like, we know a lot of our friends that are the same age as us that we'll look at them and be like, yeah, we're on two different levels right now. We're not in the same place at all. I have friends that are my same age that are way more mature than me, and I have friends that are my age that are way more mature than them. So growing up, your actual numerical age does not mean that you have matured. So what are some ways that you could avoid making bad trades in life? Number one, beware not to mistake growth for maturity. Beware not to mistake growth for maturity. Because the Bible says that Esau was a skilled hunter. He was able to go out into the fields, he was able to pick up a bow and arrow and could probably kill a deer or whatever it was from 50 miles away. I don't know if that's possible, but he could probably do that. He was excellent at doing what he was created to do. But you can be good at what you, you can be good at what you do, but you can still be terrible at who you are. There's no way that you could be skillful and still have a bad kind of attitude because not, your skill is not always going to keep you where you're supposed to be. You have to be able to have skill and maturity. So beware not to mistake both for maturity. The Bible says that they grew up but in this interaction, you see that there's no maturity on both of their ends. There's no maturity on Esau's end, and there's also no maturity or integrity on Jacob's end. Both of them are lacking in character. So both of them may have been the same age, but both, both of them were acting like children. You can be full of talent and empty of character. Esau was good at killing his dinner, but Esau did not know how to control his appetite. So he was able to go out in the field, he was able to kill the animal, but I'm going to go out on a limb and say that Esau probably didn't know how to cook. Esau probably didn't know how to make a meal. So now we see that Esau is in a place where he's able to kill what he needs to make the meal, but he's unable to control his own appetite. Number two, beware of who you speak to when you're vulnerable. Beware of who you have conversations with when you're vulnerable. You have to be very mindful of who you are opening up the lines of communication with when you are vulnerable. Some people take advantage of you and put you in a place that you don't need to be. So when you get into a place where you're desperate, when you get into a place where you're hungry, when you get to a place where you're, where you're starving, 
You have to be careful who you align yourself with. Be careful who you sit down next to. Be careful who you open up your mouth and begin to start telling people things because some people might be taking advantage of you. We see in this story that Esau is coming in from the fields and he was probably hunting for the whole day and he is coming in and he is starving. And he is starving and this is somebody that's supposed to be his brother Jacob and he comes in and tells Jacob, I'm starving, I'm, I need something to eat. And what's happening is that Jacob sees this as an opportunity. He sees this as an opportunity instead of just saying, uh, I'll make you something to eat. I'll give it to you because you're my brother. Jacob sees it as an opportunity to steal Esau's birthright. We have to understand something about in the inheritance in those days. Inheritance was something that was very, very valuable. Whenever they had two children, the inheritance always, the lion's share of the inheritance always went to the older child. And Jacob saw this opportunity for him to be able to pull that inheritance from Esau so he would be able to have Esau's inheritance and his inheritance. So Jacob, in the matter of minutes that it took Esau to walk in from the fields inside, concocted a plan to steal his brother's inheritance. Be careful of who you speak to when you're vulnerable. Beware of allowing unsatisfied appetites to turn into exaggerated emotions. A lot of times when we are not feeding ourselves in the correct way, when we're not eating in the correct way, our appetites start growing into an exaggerated state. Have you ever, well, let me speak for myself. Have you ever got to a point where you like, probably didn't eat breakfast, you didn't eat lunch, after work, you're like, oh man, I'm starving. Like, anything that somebody puts in front of you, like, I can just like gobble that up. I remember there was one time that I was, um, I was fasting with my church. And um, we were fasting for um, 21 days, and we were doing um, the Daniel fast where we weren't eating any meat, any um, cheese, all that good stuff. We were only eating veggies, fruits, and all that healthy stuff. So I remember at the end of the 21 days, like, <laughs> I looked at, I remember my mother was making steak, who happened to be making steak that night. And I looked at the steak, and I'm like, like, I could eat this whole thing. Like, I don't know if she planned to make this for the whole family, but this is going for me and me alone. Like, I was waiting for the moment to be able to eat the steak. So there's a lot of times when we are depriving ourselves of certain food or when we're depriving ourselves or changing our appetite, our appetite begins to grow in an unrealistic and unmanageable way. Be careful of allowing unsatisfied appetites to turn into exaggerated emotions. Esau was exaggerating his condition. He came in and he came into the room like he hasn't eaten in 10 days. He's like, I will, I will gladly give you my inheritance. I will gladly give you everything that I have just for a bowl of soup. I'll trade my whole inheritance to you for a bowl of soup. And what's funny is that when you read the end of this passage, it doesn't say that Esau got up and was like, this is the best soup I've ever had in my life. This is amazing. I'm so glad I traded my inheritance for this soup. What the Bible says is that he ate, he drank, he got up, and he left. And the Bible says that he despised his birthright. It wasn't like it was something that was delicious that changed his life. He literally gave up his whole inheritance to have a temporary, temporary fix. God wants you to receive his love, but if you aren't connected to him, 
you won't be able to, you'll be able to fill his heart, you'll be able to start filling your heart with other replacements for his love. When you're not getting the love of God, when you're not staying at his feet, when you're not praying, when you're not reading your, your word, when you're not seeking to hear out his voice, what happens is instead of putting yourself in a place where you understand his love for you, you start trying to find replacement for his love. You start trying to go to other places and go to other things that might be able to fulfill you because you're not getting fulfillment in the place where you're supposed to be fulfilled. When you're not reading your Bible every day, when you're not praying every day, when you're not crying on your feet and just begging to God and having conversations and that intimate time with him, you start trying to fill your heart with replacements. Because everyone here has a God-sized hole in their heart. And when we're not in a place where we're seeking God, we start trying to fill that hole with other things. And when we're not satisfying the appetite that God gave us to seek his face, the exaggerated emotions start starting to overflow. And that's when we start getting into sin. Because sin is anything that you put above God. Sin is any, it doesn't have to be something drastic. It doesn't have to be, oh, I'm, I'm doing this sin, I'm doing that. But sin is literally anything that you elevate above God. Because our God that we serve is a jealous God. And anything that we put above him, God is saying that, I don't, I, I don't want to tolerate that. And what happens is when, when we're not satisfying our, our appetite with what God has given us to satisfy it, we're going to get to a place where we are making temporary, well, making permanent decisions with temporary situations. We get to a place where we start saying that, I'm going to do this, I'm going to get into this relationship, I'm going to make this decision, I'm going to take this job because I've been waiting too long for God to fulfill this um, dream for me, I've been waiting too long for God to answer this prayer for me, so what I'm going to do, I'm going to try to finagle it to try to do it myself. Because a lot of time what happens is that the bowl is something that we can see. The bowl is something that the enemy can put right in front of us. And whenever we are in a situation where we are waiting for God, we always try to get to a point where sometimes we want to skip steps. Because how many people are honest with themselves and know that sometimes waiting for God is not fun? That sometimes when you pray for something and when you're crying out to God and God is not, it seems like God is not answering you and you know that he promised you it and it's all the way over there, and somebody comes with a bowl right in between you and God's promise. And they're like, yeah, what God promised you was pretty good, but why don't you just stop here and take this bowl really quick? Because this bowl will probably satisfy you for the moment, but it won't satisfy you forever, but at least you will have something in the meantime. And a lot of us, when we're on that Christian walk and when we're walking, we come into encounters with people offering us bowls every day. Offering us bowls for us to be able to trade for what God has promised us. And we see Esau is here and he's trading away his inheritance because he wanted a temporary, temporary solution. The biggest thing that we have to be aware of when we're walking with God and staying away from bad trades, we have to be careful of giving up what we want most for what you want right now. Be careful for giving up what you want most for what you want right now. Esau gave away something that was, that was valuable in order to receive something that was temporary. He made a permanent decision for a temporary situation. When you're hungry, hunger is a temporary situation. The minute that you eat something, you're no longer hungry. 
But what happens is that hunger is that kind of emotion, that kind of feeling that your eyes start becoming too big for your stomach. So you start looking at something and you're like, all this food looks good. I'm going to have all of it. So when you're hungry, you become a very exaggerated person, an exaggerated version of yourself. So you want to be careful that you don't give up what you want most or what you want now. A lot of times it's easier to choose the bowl because the bowl is visible. And the enemy will always come and present the bowl to you. You have to understand that we are in a place where God has an inheritance for us. God has something that he has set aside for each and every person that's here, each and every person that's sitting here. God is saying that I have an inheritance for you. I have a plan for you. I have things that I want you to accomplish. But you have to stick with me through the whole process. You can't accept the bowl. You can't get to a place where you're willing to give up the bowl, give up your inheritance for the bowl. One thing we have to understand about that culture is that with an inheritance, there was only three things that could happen. The inheritance could increase, the inheritance could be transferred, or the inheritance could be given away. Nobody was able to take your inheritance. It wasn't, a part, it wasn't an issue where somebody could come in and steal your inheritance when you weren't paying attention. The only way that you could lose your inheritance is if you willingly gave it up. So the enemy knows that he can't steal your inheritance from you. The enemy knows that he can't come in like a thief in the night and pull away what God has for you. But what the enemy can do, he can give you something for you to be able to trade your inheritance for something else. He can put something in front of you where you're like, I know God promised me that I will be married by 30, but this person is in front of me right now and I'm 27, so maybe this is what God plans have, has for me right now, so I'm going to do this and fix, my, fix the situation myself instead of waiting for God to do it. So what we do is that we take and accept the bowl, and once we accept the bowl, we're giving away our and that's what the enemy is setting us up to do. The enemy is saying that I want to give you this bowl because it's going to be faster than what God has for you. And we're living in a time and we're living in a generation where we want everything quick. Internet, everything is just like literally everything is fast. I remember when when internet first came about and they still had the AOL CDs and Six, 600 free hours of AOL. I don't know if anybody in this room might even remember that. <laughs> you had, you couldn't be on the, you couldn't be on the phone and the internet at the same time. You had to choose one. So, like, we we've come from that to literally being able to have the whole internet on the palm of our hands. Everything that we want, we want it quickly. We want it fast, and the enemy can play into that emotion because God is not really interested. God is more interested in how we behave during our promised time rather than us actually getting there. Because God is in, he's, he's invested in your journey. Because he already knows that he has promised you whatever, whatever you have at the other end. He already, you already know that the inheritance is there. But God is more concerned with your obedience. Can you be patient and obedient while you're waiting for the promise? Can you be patient and obedient while you're waiting for your inheritance to come? Or are you willing to trade away your inheritance for a moment? So we think sometimes that this story might not 
apply to us because our parents are not rich. They don't have any money in the bank or nothing that they're going to leave us, but God has an inheritance for you. God has an inheritance for you, and the enemy is on a mission and an assignment to pull that inheritance away. He's on a mission and an assignment to pull that inheritance away. So here we have Esau, who is willing to give away his inheritance and give away his birthright for a bowl of soup. And God is asking you this question tonight. Are you willing to give away your inheritance for a bowl? Are you going to let the devil make you give up what you want most for what you want right now? Because what's, what's, what's terrible about the bowl is that the bowl looks good. The bowl is attractive. The bowl smells good. It's everything. It, it almost, the thing about the bowl is that it almost looks like what God promised you. Because that's what the enemy does. The enemy is very good at trying to replicate what God does. He's very good at trying to play the copycat game and play the, um, the copycat game where he's trying to imitate what God does. And the bowl will look like what God promised you. But are you willing to be patient and say, God, I'm going to turn down the bowl and stay focused on my inheritance. Stay focused on my inheritance. If you turn to Hebrews 12, verse 14. Hebrews 12, verse 14, really quick. I want you to read what became of Esau. I'm going to start traveling with a smaller Bible nowadays. Hebrews 12, verse 14. And the Bible says, make every effort to live in peace with everyone and to be holy. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one falls short of the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble or defile many. See that no one is sexually immoral or is godless like Esau, who for a single meal sold his inheritance rights to the oldest son, as the oldest son. The Bible only mentions Esau one other time in the Bible, and here it is in Hebrews. And he says, or Paul, or the writer of Hebrews is writing, and he says, be careful that you are not godless like Esau, who for a single meal sold his inheritance rights as the oldest son. So we see that the Bible considers Esau to be godless, but trading away a bowl for his inheritance. And while I was reading the story, I'm like, God, this story kind of ends on a bad note. Not, not very encouraging right now. This is, this is sad. Esau gave up his whole inheritance for a bowl of soup, and what happens? And then you call him godless at the end of it. God, like, wh what is it that makes this story better? And as I was thinking about that, I started thinking about another set of sons that were in a situation for them to receive their inheritance. And the youngest son begged his father and said, I want my inheritance now. I don't want to wait until you die. I don't want to wait until you're under the ground. I need you to give me my inheritance now. And the father reluctantly goes, all right, if that's what you want, I'm going to give you your inheritance. And we're familiar, a lot of us are familiar with the story. This guy, the young man goes out, goes out into the streets and goes out into the city and he blows his inheritance. 
He blows every single penny. He goes to party. He goes, spends it with his friends, and finally he finds himself sitting in a pigsty eating pig soup. Eating pig soup. Literally slop with the pigs that are eating and on the, on the ground wondering how did he get here. And what's crazy in the story is that I'm thinking about it because he had an inheritance, but he traded it for not when God wanted him to have it, but when he wanted to have it. So he traded his inheritance for both. But what happens is that he doesn't have the same reaction that the Bible says about Esau, where it says that Esau was godless. What happens is that this son is able to go back home and have a father who's not only waiting for him to come back home, but runs out to go to meet him. He sees his son, knowing that his son has blown all of his inheritance, knowing that his son has given up his inheritance for a bowl, knowing that his son was probably in a pigsty, not knowing what else to do. The father, instead of rejecting his son, runs out to meet his son and covers him and says that everything that you ever wanted, everything that you ever needed, I'm still going to give to you because I'm your father. And I'm sitting there and I'm thinking, what is the difference between the prodigal son and Esau? Why is it that Esau is called godless and the prodigal son is at a place where he's being received back into the family in open, with open arms? And I'm, I'm praying and I'm like, God, what is it that makes them different? And God is saying, God told me that the reason that Esau is godless and the prodigal son is welcomed back into the family is because of one person and one person only. And that's another son who had an opportunity to trade a bowl but rejected the bowl. Jesus was in the wilderness. He was in a place where he, the Bible says that he was fasting for 40 days fasted for 40 nights, and he went into the wilderness, and Satan appeared to him at the point where he was the weakest. At the point where Jesus was starving. At the point where Jesus had his appetite, and his appetite must have been exaggerated because he has not eaten for 40 days. And Satan comes up to him and says, I know that you're God, so why don't you take these stones and turn them into bread? I know that you're hungry. I know that you're starving. I know that your appetite is growing. I know that you haven't eaten in 40 days. Oh, nobody's here. Just turn these stones into bread. And you can eat it and you'll be all good. But Jesus doesn't take the bowl. Jesus doesn't get to a point where he says, I'm going to take the bowl rather than my inheritance. Jesus rejects the bowl and says that man should not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Jesus rejected the bowl so that we can reject the bowl. Jesus rejected the bowl so that even when we don't reject the bowl, that he will still let us back into his arms. That even when we say that we want to trade a temporary, a permanent solution for a temporary situation, God is saying that I will still take you back because I am the one that rejected the bowl and I can do it for you. A lot of times we get to a place where we're wondering, God, I don't know if I can do this. I made too many wrong turns. I made too many mistakes. I made too many missteps. And I feel like I'm going down the wrong path. I feel like I've messed up. I feel like I've taken the bowl too many times. I feel like I've gotten to the point where I've rejected what you have for me because I wanted to do what I wanted to do. I've taken the bowl 
so many times. I've taken the boat instead of waiting for what you have for me. I've made the wrong decision. I've made the wrong turn. God, what is it that I can do? And as Christians, a lot of times we get to the point where we're discouraged. And we, we become, instead of going forward, we get to a place where we become very stagnant when we make the wrong decision. When we do something that's outside of God's grace, we're like, sometimes instead of going forward or going backwards, we freeze. And we don't know what the next step is to take. But it was funny because like, while I was driving here, God gave me a revelation. I'm, I'm driving here. I have my GPS on for me to get here. I have my music blasting so I can have company while I'm driving. And of course, as the GPS is telling me to turn, I miss the turn. I'm like, oh man, now I'm not gonna have to go all the way around. Or I'm gonna have to take way longer than it will take me if I didn't miss that exit. And what happens is that when the GPS, or when you make a wrong turn, or when you miss a turn, or you don't get to the destination that's where that you're supposed to get to, the GPS doesn't reset. The GPS doesn't say, oh, you have to go all the way back to your beginning to get to where you need to get to again. The GPS always recalculates itself. The GPS always gets to a point where it says, recalculating, recalculating, and next thing you know, you have a different path to where you're supposed to get. So a lot of times we get to a place where we're Christians and we're, we make the wrong turn or we, we miss a turn somewhere, and in our minds we're like, God, do I really, do I have to reset? Do I have to start over because I took, over, took a bow when I wasn't supposed to? Do I have to start over because I was willing to trade something permanent for something temporary? And God is like, no, I'm not going to have you start over. I'm going to recalculate you right from where you are. You're not going to have to get to a point where you're going to have to go all the way back to the beginning for you to be able to get to your destination. It might take you a little longer. It might make you go a little further. It might take you around the way that you were originally supposed to take. But God is always going to recalculate you to get you back to where you need to get. So when you're in a place where you feel like you've messed up, where you feel like you've made the wrong decision, where you feel like you might have traded a bowl for your inheritance, God is saying that, no, I'm not going to call you godless. I'm going to welcome you with open arms, and I'm going to recalculate you to get you back to where you need to go. I'm going to always set you up, because I have come down and I took the form of man. I went on the cross, I died for your sins, and your life is valuable to me. And the Bible says that in Isaiah, he says that, you will walk through the fire and you will not be burned. You will walk through the waters and they will not overcome you. God said that I will trade lives for your life. That's how much I value you. That's how much I care about you. And because of what Jesus did on the cross 2,000 plus years ago, we can stand here and even when we mess up, his grace will cover us. Even when we drop the ball, even when we pick up the ball when we're not supposed to, God is saying that I will put you back on the path that you need to be. So we have starving sons. We see Esau starving for a bowl, trading away his inheritance for a bowl of stew. We have the prodigal son trading away his inheritance that was supposed to be for him later in life to get it right now. But then we have Jesus who is also a starving son 
in the wilderness, willing to reject the goal in order for him to be able to accomplish the mission of going to Calvary to die for us. He did it all for us so that when we are in a situation where the bull might be in front of us, that we can turn it, turn it around and we can say that, God, I'm going to do this through you, that I'm going to do this because of you, and I'm going to reject the bull so that I can have what you have for me. Amen? Let's stand up on our feet tonight. I'm going to ask the worship team to um, come up. And I know that um, a lot of times when God is speaking to us, sometimes we, it takes some time for the things to really kind of resonate and get inside of our spirit. But one thing I've come to realize as a Christian is that, especially in this time and, in time and age, we're living in a time where there's really not more time for more time. And what I mean when I say that is that if you look at the signs that are around us in this world, we see that Jesus is coming back for his church. Jesus is coming back soon. And we have to be the revival. The fire has to start within us. Because what happens is that we know the truth. And if we know the truth and we're sitting on it and we're not willing to go out and let people know, then we are doing the world a huge disservice because God said that the church is going to be the vehicle that he uses to save the world. So if we are not doing our job of speaking and being ignited with the fire to be able to go start that fire and be a spark somewhere else in our school, be a spark somewhere in our job, be a spark in our family, God is saying that we are not doing, we're doing ourselves a disservice if we keep it right here on this bench. And God wants to do something with this ministry. God wants to do something with with our church, he's going to do something that's miraculous. And we read about these revivals, we read about all of these things that happen throughout history. And God is saying that it's almost time for a revival to start in our city. That we, we, we're not only going to read about it, it's not only going to be in the history books, but we are going to be part of a church-wide revival that takes over this whole nation. That there's going to be a fire in us that when there's enough Christians, that there's enough people of God that are rejecting the bowl and saying that I'm not going to take the bowl, but I'm going to follow through with the inheritance that God has for me, that there's going to be a fire that starts to ignite through this nation. But the spark starts with you. It starts here, right here in this place where you are coming together every month to meet with God, to commune with other people that know God, this is where the fire happens. This is where it happens. In the story, he said that it took one little girl saying yes. One little girl that said yes, that turned a whole city upside down. And God is saying that a lot of us have been waiting for a release of God. We've been waiting for a release of God in our families. We've been waiting for a release of God in our city. We've been waiting for a release of God in our schools. And God is saying that your release is tied to your relationship. That the closer 
and deeper that you get with me, the more that I'm going to open up the floodgates of heaven and pour out what I have for you. But the release that is connected, the release is connected to how deep do you want to get with me? How deep do you want your relationship to be with me? Because the deeper and the closer that you get to me, if you stay at my feet, I am going to open up the spigot of heaven and begin to outflow blessings that you did not even think that you were going to be able to contain. So a lot of times we say that we're waiting on God, but God is saying that I'm waiting on you. I can open up the floodgates of heaven. I can outpour a revival that you will not even be able to contain, but I'm waiting for your response. God is waiting for a response from us tonight. We've been praying and we've been asking for revival. We've been praying and we've been crying out for revival. But revival does not happen without a struggle. Revival doesn't happen without a struggle. If we read in John 15, the Bible says that God is the vine and we are the branches. That if a vine is to bear fruit, if a vine doesn't bear fruit, he cuts it. But what I love about what he says further in that passage is that if a vine wants to bear more fruit, he still cuts it. So every time that you ask for more from God, every time that you ask for more from God to outpour and open up heaven, God is going to put you in a place of struggle. He's going to put you in a place where the enemy is going to be offering you bows. The enemy will be putting bows in front of you on your way and on your destination to what God asks for you. But are you willing to ignore those bows? Are you willing to say no to what the devil is presenting you? No matter how neatly packaged and good it looks, are you willing to say no to what God, what, to what the enemy is giving you and say yes to what God has for you? God is looking for a yes tonight. God is looking for a yes tonight. Lord, we are willing to be obedient to your word, O Lord, Father God. We thank you, Lord, Father God, because you have spoken to us, O Lord, Father God, and we understand, O Lord God, that in this life as a Christian, Lord, that there's always going to be distractions, there's always going to be things that are in our way, there's always going to be obstacles, O Lord, Father God, but because you have shown us that you can do it, O Lord, Father God, we are able to do it because we are following in your steps, Lord. Allow us to know, O Lord, Father God, that you said in your word that greater things will we do than you have done, O Lord, Father God. So if you can turn your back on the bowl, O Lord God, we are declaring, O Lord, Father God, that we will also turn our backs on the bowls, God. That we will say no, O Lord, Father God, because the no that we are saying to those bowls are us saying yes to what you have for us. Yes to your grace, O Lord, Father God. Yes to your power, O Lord God. Yes to your healing, O Lord, Father God. We are saying yes to you every time we reject the bowl, God. So, Lord, help us say yes, Lord. Help us say yes, O Lord, Father God, and help us know that our yes, O Lord, Father God, is the yes that's going to unlock the doors in our family, Lord God. It's going to unlock the doors in our schools, O God. It's going to unlock the doors in our jobs, O Lord, Father God. That our yes, O Lord, Father God, when it begins to ripple through, O Lord, Father God, that it will cause a fire throughout this nation, O Lord God. And people will come to know you, O Lord God, because we said yes.
Help us to reject the bowls, God. The bowl of super, oh Father God, is not worth the inheritance that you have for us, oh God. Help us to say yes to you and yes to your will, God. Tonight, hallelujah, I'm going to give the opportunity to anybody who have gotten to that point where they know that even tonight they're holding the bowl in their hands. That they're inspecting it, they're looking at it, they're like, yeah, this looks kind of good. I kind of like this bowl and I'm holding it and I'm almost at a place where I feel like I'm ready to give it up for the inheritance that God has for me. And you're holding the bowl in your hand and you're, you're, you're not sure what to do with it or you've already traded the, the bowl and you feel like it's too late. God is saying that I'm giving you the opportunity to make a recalculation right now. So tonight, if that's you, if you feel like you're in a place where you've already traded away what God has had for you or you feel like you're holding the ball at the point of getting ready to give up begin to lift your hands right now if you're in this place right now if that's you just lift your hands thank you I see the hands bless God bless God bless God hallelujah I see the hands all eyes closed all eyes closed all eyes closed
God is saying that because you are willing to make that declaration tonight, that I am going to open up the floodgates of heaven, and I am going to outpour my blessings on you, and you will not be able to contain it. See, you're standing here tonight, and the enemy thinks that he has you surrounded. The enemy thinks that he has you in a corner where you have accepted sin, where you've accepted the bowl, where you've accepted the temporary, and the enemy is like, I got you right where I want you. But what the enemy doesn't understand is that while he thinks that he has you surrounded, God has encamped his angels all around you. So what he may see as victory, God is seeing it as the perfect setup to take the enemy out of your life forever. So you're standing here and you're rejecting the bowl. And God is saying that this is much more than saying no to a bowl. That every person here that is saying no, your yes is attached and has been heard in heaven. Every person that's here that's saying no to the bowl, God is clearly hearing your voice saying yes to my will. Yes, God, I will place my feet wherever you want me to go. Yes, God, you can use my hands for what you want to do, God. Yes, God, open up my lips and let there be a beacon and a voice to be able to shout out in the wilderness that there is freedom in the house of God. Your yes is unlocking doors for the people in your family. Your yes is unlocking the doors for the people that are sitting here that are in shackles. You have to understand that when you as a Christian begin to say yes and say no to the bowls, that you are unlocking chains in heaven. As it is done in it, as on earth, let it also be done in heaven. God is saying that everything that you're doing here tonight, heaven is standing in concert with you. Heaven is on their feet and they see that yes, my people are rejecting the bowls. My people are saying no to the bowls, so they are saying yes to me. No more temporary yeses. But God said, let your yes be yes and your no be no. So when I say yes to you, God, I'm saying yes to follow you completely and for the rest of my life. And altar, every hand lifted. See, a lot of times when people preach and they, they talk about saying yes, they leave everybody charged up and people are excited about saying yes and excited about going out and being a missionary and a soldier for Christ, but I would be you doing a huge disservice to you if I didn't tell you that your yes is going to cost you a lot. I'll be you doing a huge disservice to you if I didn't declare and tell you that the minute that you open up your mouth and say yes, the enemy is no longer going to be offering you bowls, but he's going to be sending arrows your way. Because he understands that now he can't get you with a simple trade. Now he's going to have to get you by destroying you. Your yes is going to cost you a lot. It's not going to be easy. It's not, it's not all 
roses and flowers when you say yes to God.
to allow yourself to grow from that hurt. Because if you keep holding on to it, if you keep harboring it, if you keep keeping it in your chest, that it's going to pull you away from God. God is saying tonight that he wants to mend that relationship. But for you to mend that relationship, God is saying that I need you to forgive her. Forgive her, forgive her, forgive her. Because she's not going to be the one that comes to ask for forgiveness. She's not going to be the one that comes to say sorry. But God is saying that tonight, I want you to forgive her unconditionally. And then I'm going to watch that relationship grow. Hallelujah, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, God. Thank you, Jesus. Tonight, we thank you for your word. We thank you for everything that you have done, oh Lord God. We thank you for the people that you have put here, oh Lord, Father God, that are standing here in decoration saying yes to you, oh Lord, Father God. We thank you, oh Lord, Father God, for every starving son here, oh Lord, Father God, that they will begin to whet their appetite, oh Lord, Father God, with the things of God, oh Lord God, and not the things of man, that they will say yes to you and no to the goals, oh Lord, Father God. We declare, oh Lord, Father God, that pursuit, oh Lord, Father God, will be the catalyst for fire, oh Lord, Father God, in this region, oh Lord, Father God. We declare, oh Lord, Father God, that pursuit, oh Lord, Father God, will be the catalyst of fire in this region, oh Lord, Father God, that people will come to know God like never before, that this is good ground, oh Lord, Father God, that we are so again, Hallelujah, Jesus, that we are building up, oh Lord, Father God, a place, oh Lord, Father God, where people who are unchurched, oh Lord, Father God, where people who may not know who God is, oh Lord, Father God, where people who may not be comfortable with the regular church environment could come and find you, oh Lord, Father God. Thank you for listening to Pursuit Cast. For more information on the ministry of Pursuit NYC, please visit us on the web at www.pursuitnyc.org. Revival or bust.